Welcome everybody to Fergo and the final host of the Glorious League Freak. And today we have a very special guest. We have current Fox Sports journalist and former cheerleader Darcy McDonald. Hey, hey Darcy, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank you for having me as well. Yeah, it's cool to finally get to talk to you. Um, we've chatted a little bit before on DMs and yeah, it was finally time to get you on and, and uh, have a talk about cheerleading. Yeah, it's very topical at the moment, isn't it? It really is. Now, before we get into that, I've got to thank our sponsor. It is Manscaped.com. If you go to Manscaped.com and you put in the code word NRL at checkout, you get 20% off and free shipping and a 30-day money-back guarantee on every single item on their website. Go and get the perfect package, 3.0. It is brilliant. It has everything you need. We thank Manscaped. Go and do it. We do this for you lot, so go and go and purchase something. So, the Parramatta Eels, they decided to not have cheerleaders this year, and it was really disappointing for everyone. Um, like, you're a former cheerleader. What would that be like to go into the season, and we're pretty close to the season kicking off, and all of a sudden, you know, the cheerleading positions are gone? Mm, well, it actually happened at the Bulldogs for – for a hot minute when um when Raylene Castle was the CEO and mm-hmm. I remember at the end of 2013 um she announced that the cheerleaders were going to be no longer and instead there was going to be an ambassadors role and that kind of came out into the media and whatnot and we didn't we didn't weren't entirely briefed on mm-hmm. what that meant so I yeah for that for a stage there I experienced that and I thought oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? Like, this is this is my dream. I'm living my dream. I love what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how else do I get involved in the game? So I can empathise um, hugely with the Parramatta girls with what they're going through at the moment because they would be really lost, especially how, like you mentioned, how close to the season it is. Mm-hmm. Um, some girls, they um, – do it for the purpose of performing rather than um, they might not be staunch fans. Um, So they could have potentially gone to another squad. But the thing is, it's so close to the season, they've probably missed majority of the squad, the other squad's auditions. Mm -hmm. So they could find themselves, yeah, without, without cheerleading for this year, which is, which is really sad because essentially they might even just hang up the pom-poms completely and give up and not come back, um, which would be a real shame, I reckon. Yeah, because it's, I guess with cheerleading, it's almost like a footy career in the sense of there, there's almost a time limit on it to a certain extent. For And for most cheerleaders, it seems like they don't have a very long cheerleading career at all. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right because you have to be um, 18 to join a cheerleading squad. So you have from 18 until, I guess, you know, as as old as you can possibly keep keep up with all the routines and everything like that. But also, a lot of um, a lot of females will will give up cheerleading because they're pregnant and they um, are going to give birth, and then all of a sudden they've got a child to look after. They're not going to come back and spend Friday nights or Saturday nights or whatnot um, on the sidelines because they've got other responsibilities. So yeah, there is there is a time limit. Most cheer girls will probably do maybe three to three to seven seasons is kind of the average mm-hmm. and, and probably anything above five I would consider is a is a is a really good stint but yeah it's yeah I don't know the the poor Parramatta girls they'll be 
I don't even know what they're going to do because, yeah, they're, they're going to be lost now. Um, so many of them, they're so passionate about it. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's essentially losing a part, a big part of your life, for, you know, from March all the way through to October if your team's in the finals. So, yeah, it's sad. And like a real like a real love for it too. I think that it's weird some of the attitudes about cheerleading and when we have seen the cheer squads being broken up by certain clubs, we've seen almost an attitude of from some people anyway that we have to protect the cheerleaders from being sexualized and and all of that sort of thing and no one ever talks to the cheerleaders no one ever (laughs) asks them what they think and i always find it weird that people are putting their own sort of hang-ups on the cheerleaders and but to to fix it up in their minds they're like let's take the cheerleaders happiness away from them (laughs) i i always find that really weird (laughs) you and me both i was literally talking about this exact thing in the office today that a lot of people, and they might not even have malicious intent, they might actually think that they're doing the right thing by empowering women and protecting them, like you said, and stepping up for women's rights and whatnot, and thinking that they're doing the right thing by saying, you girls, don't, we don't have to exploit you anymore. We're going to take you from the field. But they don't realise no cheerleader is being forced um, to do it. It's not slavery. It's not anything like that. Every girl puts their hand up and goes through the, through the audition process. They commit to it. And I can tell you right now, you don't get paid very well. So they do it for the love of it. Um, and so, yeah, like no one's forced to do it. And they're happy to wear the costumes at, at any stage. If you're ever uncomfortable, you're not bound to that club that you have to push through. You can always step down, leave, do something else um it's yeah it's mind-boggling a lot of people like you said like to speak on behalf of the cheerleaders and they might think that they're doing the right thing and they might have their moral compass and think that they're they're right and and yeah they're doing us a favor but at the end of the day they're essentially not listening to the people that they think they're standing up for and that's a little bit twisted and backwards for me yeah and the, the other thing is too it's and as you say, it, it probably comes from a good place for the people that do it. it, really. And it does. Like, it just does. But the idea that there are now, like, just you think of the Parramatta cheerleaders, all of those women that now are no longer employed by the game, even if they don't earn too much. I mean, they were there. They were very visible, especially at Parramatta cheerleaders. They were very visible on game day and outside of game day too. And that they're not involved in the game, it's like – that should be the complete opposite of what we're doing in rugby league, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, how much do we um, see people in the game advocate, advocating for more women involved in the game, whether that be from the grassroots all the way up, in admin, as players, everything like that? So it just, I don't know, in one breath to be supporting women in the game and trying to invite females and make it more family friendly and whatnot and then in the same breath um yeah ending ending the employment of a bunch of um young women who really put their heart and soul into what they're doing they don't get paid well they do it for the love of it and and they're great ambassadors for the club um it's yeah it it, yeah it just it sucks and what comes out of cheerleading as well is things go beyond that so for me personally Um, When I finished up at the Bulldogs cheerleading, I moved into a media internship um, in the club. And that was basically my first working experience um, post-university. 
mm-hmm. in a, in the media. So and putting that on my resume gave me a bit of experience for when I started applying for jobs in journalism. So things like that. And I know uh, there's a Panthers cheerleader um, and she's a lawyer and she got her first um, law internship via one of the um, Penrith sponsors. So oh, there's wow. all these opportunities beyond what you see on the field. And like, it, it makes me sad that any, you know, young and up and coming dancer that maybe supported the Eels or, or looked at them and thought that's a squad I want to be a part of, they weren't, not only will they not be able to experience the sisterhood and the fun and all the amazing experiences that you get as a cheerleader, but they are potentially missing out on further opportunities in the game, whether that be in you know, in journalism, in the media, in um, admin or working at the club in ticketing or something like that. It's, yeah, it, who knows what they're going to miss out on now. Yeah, and like, I mean, as you know, just getting your foot in the door in any way in rugby league, it there's a, that connection there all of a sudden where you can say, well, look, I am in the game, I'm doing this job. And it does open doors for you, down, like just with different people that you, at first you don't even know you know, that you're going to end up speaking to. Um, it's really interesting, that part of it. Um, so tell me, because I wanted to have you on to talk about some of the misconceptions about cheerleading yeah. and just basically talk about how you got into it. When, yeah. like, when did you first know you wanted to be a cheerleader? <laughs> I would have been maybe five years old. Oh. So, yeah, my family are staunch, massive Bulldogs fans. My my pop was one of the very first members at Belmore. So we, I grew up going to the games um, from the moment I was born, basically. I'm, my mum has um, this memory of me as a newborn and the ladies that sat next to her, I think it was at Belmore, they they needed me mittens. So, you know, I didn't have a choice. I was, I was going to the Bulldogs game whether I liked it or not. But as I got a little bit older, still a kid, so, you know, looking at five, five to ten years old, where I didn't really – I was a real girly girl. I did ballet, um, and I didn't really understand football. Like uh, the way that my mum was able to get me to the game and not have to find a babysitter for me was the cheerleaders because that appealed to me as a young girl yeah. um, and as a dancer. So I watched them growing up. I still remember what my favourite cheer girl looks like. I should actually track her down somehow and, and try and meet her. But, um, yeah, I grew up idolising them and – I remember in my um, – I've got a photo of it, actually. In my year six um, end-of-year graduation book, it says, what's your ambition? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a Bulldogs cheerleader. Oh. So, yeah, so I knew for a long time. So I remember, um, like I said before, you have to be 18 to be able to audition. And I just remember they put an ad- advertisement up on the Bulldogs website, and I've been waiting my entire life for this advertisement. And the um, the audition clashed with when I was meant to be on schoolies in Fiji. Mm-hmm. And so I told my mum, I was like, no, just cancel schoolies or I'll go late. Like, I don't I don't even care. I don't want to go. I want to audition. And and I was lucky uh, I'd reached out to the club and they said, we'll give you a private audition separately, like just oh, go really? to schoolies. Yeah, yeah I was lucky. Um, so I was able to do both. But, I yeah, I went to the private audition, um, which was essentially just – the current squad were doing a rehearsal and I just turned up to there, did that. And then mm-hmm. we had to do, I don't know if many clubs do this anymore, but we had to do a um, a quiz, like a knowledge quiz. Of the club. 
Yeah, of the club. And I'm just going to chuck in a little humble brag here. I was the okay. only cheerleader to ever get 100% oh, <laughs> on the Bulldogs one. <laughs> um, yeah, and, so, and then you had a little interview. So that's essentially how I got into it. I, you know, I, I knew from when I was a really, really young age that that's exactly what I wanted to do. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's a, that's a real big misconception. Um, a lot of people like to stereotype cheerleaders and and like mind you there are some girls that do it as an opportunity to boost their dance experience and to perform and whatnot because the performing the performing arts industry in Australia isn't great mm-hmm. um, so cheerleading is is a great avenue to get um, regular ex- exposure and regular work and build yourself up as a dancer if that's the avenue that you want to go down as a professional dancer so a lot of um the cheerleading gets a lot of fantastic dancers that are just looking for um, an opportunity. But there are people like me who grew up as rusted on fans mm-hmm. and um, it was, it was yeah, like my way to get involved in the game. I mean, I wish I was tough enough to play, but I'm a stalk, like I kick my toe <laughs> and I cry. Um, and <laughs> and I don't have any, any desire to work in admin at this stage. And, yeah. and I didn't know at 18 years old that I was going to work as a journalist. Mm-hmm. either so that was yeah that was that was why I went after it because I was a fan I just wanted to be involved and that was that was my that was my way in that's awesome so like I would love to know with the audition that you did and obviously yours mm. was uh, a more private audition mm. um like what was the what routines did they put you through yeah. how long did it go for and was it like was it difficult yeah, so the thing is with um, cheerleading, you have to re-audition every year. So there's no guarantee that you're going to – you don't just keep your spot, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all for the following four seasons, I still had to re-audition. So the auditions um, basically look like you – it's like your typical dance audition. So you've got um, a ton of girls there. You've got a judging panel, and you turn up with your stage makeup and hair, so basically what you would look like on game day. Um, just to give the judging panel uh, an insight into how you present yourself. And, and like, that's part of the gig, and that's always part of um, any dance performance uh, industry, the whole thing. you have uh, The look is important because you are – you're performing. So you need to, you know, look a certain way. Um, you're not going to turn up messy. So you have to turn up like that. You get numbers um, either pinned to you, written on your arm or something. So, you know, they're, they're not – don't have to the judging panel don't have to learn all your names i'll just refer to you as your number Mm -hmm. um and you'll usually go through you'll do a warm-up so it's kind of like a dance class you'll do a warm-up and then you'll do um kind of progressions which is you know high kicks from um from the corner you might do some leaps some turns kind of those basic um staple moves that will be in routines and then you will learn a routine um the choreographer will teach you a routine and you'll perform it in groups um, and then usually the judging panel will narrow it down and they um, might cut some people there on that night or they might get in touch with you a couple of days later and will either decide the squad based off that one audition or they might hold a second audition where they've cut it down a little bit and then they narrow it down again to the main squad. So it can be a process, um, but if you've grown up dancing, it's not and it's not daunting at all because um, yeah, like you, it's basically just like a dance class. So if you you know if you've danced anyone, you'd be fine. Yeah, but it, it, it's fun and if if you're really really determined to be a cheerleader, it can be a little bit nerve wracking because you're you're essentially walking into a um 
a big room of girls all competing for the same spot. So that can be a little bit, a little bit daunting. <laughs> I can imagine. So I guess during these auditions, like they want to see that you can technically do the the basic moves, but then when they move on to giving you routines to do, they're also looking at who picks it up really quickly compared to who needs a little bit more time. And I mean, if you're picking it up quickly, I'm guessing that it, it's a really good advantage for you. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, you only get um, most cheer squads only have one rehearsal each week. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've only got a couple of hours altogether to learn a new routine to perform that round. And so, you know, cheerleading's not a full time thing. So everybody's got other things to worry about work other commitments, studying and whatnot. So you've only got a couple of hours at rehearsal to learn the routine and then it's up to you to be able to practice it and make sure you've nailed it. Mm-hmm. And then on game day, I know at the Bulldogs, um, we'd have to be out on the gates welcoming people into the stadium from the moment the gates open, which is about two hours before the game. Um, and you think if it's a Friday night and, and people and girls are working until like five o'clock or whatnot, they'll have to get off work early, arrive to the game, but we have to be on the gates at whatever time 5 30 6 o'clock and whatnot um but you have to squeeze in a rehearsal so you only get maybe 10 minutes to quickly do um, just a quick run through of the routine to make sure everybody still remembers it so if yeah if you can't pick up the routine on the night in at the rehearsal then it's probably a clear indication that you're going to struggle um in the middle of the season where you've got to pick up a new routine every single week. Plus you do little try celebrations on the sidelines. So they're little mini routines as well. Um, so yeah, they you've got to be able to pick them up. Or are yeah, they, they are. So, wow. That's incredible. Yes, oh yeah. I'll give you a little insight into those. So okay. they are little, um, basically they're like little blocks of, uh, we talk in like in dance language, uh, we might talk, we, you, you count in eights, so they're usually four counts of eights, which is mm-hmm. essentially like 32 seconds-ish. Um, and they, you, we used to, when we were at the Bulldogs, we used to have like a little tiny weeny little list yeah. um, on a piece of paper and we would chuck it, there'd be one person on each side, like basically leading each side, and we'd chuck it in our shoe and we'd, we'd look down the line and say, okay, if, we're, if we score next, we're doing, and we'd have little names for them. Um, like I, yeah, I, I can't, I think there was one try celebration when I was captain, I named one of them windmill, for example, because the first move looked like a windmill. Yeah. So we'd have on the pieces of paper, okay, we're going windmill first, the next one's next. And so I'd look down the line and say, okay, if we score next, we're, we're going to get up and do windmill. And we've practiced them, you know, previously, but, um, on the night, you know, thing, things go wrong, things happen, you know, you mm-hmm. get up because you think it's a try and then it gets awarded a no try. So you have to <laughs> sit back down or you think it's a no try. And then all of a sudden they put the music on, it's a try and you got to get up and you just, you know, it can be a bit frantic but um they are rehearsed yes wow that, that's blown my mind i thought it was yeah. i thought it would be i thought it would be something along the lines of you have a block of moves because obviously they're moves that have been done yeah. but i yeah. thought it was like uh, like you just do this block of moves but it's planned i can't believe it yeah yeah the little mini dances they're planned and then a lot of the time too um as you kind of nail those little try celebrations, so um, at, like at the start of every season, we would learn, you know, five or six things like try celebration dances. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the season, um, 
they were, you know, you they're like a second language to you. They're so easy. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes at the Bulldogs, we'd have to, we'd have two dancers during the game. So besides your try celebrations, we would do a pre-match routine and a halftime routine. So you've only got two hours at rehearsals to learn two whole new routines. So the little trick is that those little try celebrations that you will do on the sideline will just make a three minute routine out of them. Okay. Um, and you know, and you, you know, a, a fan would, unless you're a dancer and you know that that's happening, you wouldn't pick up on that that the same moves are being done just to different music and in a different formation. You would have yeah. no idea. <laughs> so, so you could have a halftime routine where you would get a list of those smaller blocks. So they might say, and I'll make up, you know, just I'll use play names. They might say like we're doing the, I was going to say Craig Gale first. That's a really bad <laughs> one. We're doing the Tony Puller tour first and then we're going yeah. to do the Ryan Girdler and then we're going to go into, you know, the, you know, the yeah. Preston well, Gamble. Well, the ha- like the halftime and the pregame routines that you see in the middle of the field, that's all pre-choreographed. That's okay. not like, that's all, um, everything's, that's put together like a proper dance. It's the ones where you're seeing the girls sitting on the sidelines throughout the game mm-hmm. and you know when they score and the girls jump up and then yeah. the music comes on and they do like 30, a 30 second dance. Yeah. There you try a celebration. So that's okay. when you're, when you're sitting, when the girls are sitting along the sideline, yeah. you might see one girl, if you're looking really closely, you yeah. might see a girl pull out a little piece of paper or something and look down the line and say, okay, well, we're doing the Cameron Smith next. Yeah. Um, and everyone would be like, okay, yep. And we would have rehearsed um, at training throughout the week. So we might know, okay, we do the Cameron Smith in like a V shape or we do we do the um, the Cooper Cronk in oh, like a like a I semicircle shape, yeah. you know what I mean, on the sideline. So they yeah. are rehearsed, um, yeah. but but it's more so you just might not know what the, you might not remember what the order is or you might change up the order. Mm-hmm. Um, or if your team doesn't even score, you might not do any on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> or if your team scores sixty, you're going through the whole, you're going through them that many times. <laughs> do, do, whenever they put out a big score like that, like, did you feel it the next day? Oh, well, I was pretty lucky. Like for a couple of years of my um of my uh, cheerleading days, I was doing full time ballet, so I was really fit. And then, all right. uh, and then in my last years, I was dance teaching, so I was. I was all right, but um, I know some of the girls that might have an office job or whatever, they would get sore hammies or they'd have to warm up beforehand, mm-hmm. especially if it's in the middle of July or something and it's really cold. I'll never forget there was this one game. Um, it was like a Monday, back when Monday night games were a thing, and it was Bulldogs and Sharks at ANZ Stadium, and, and it was empty, like absolutely empty naturally mm-hmm. on a Monday. Um and I kid you not, it got down to four degrees because on the on the big screen it has it will tell you what the temperature is. Yeah. And it was just a dull night, and we <laughs> had our jackets on, but um, we used to have to take our jackets off and do the little try celebration if they scored. Mm-hmm. And so that would be like it's fine if they're scoring all the time because you're getting up and down and you keep you keep warm. Um, but if it's you know thirty minutes between a try. You get cold, and I remember the Bulldogs were leading by like eight, and I just remember sitting there with my pom poms, kind of pulled into my chest, so cold, thinking, I don't even care if we don't score again. Like I, I don't even care if we lose. Like I just don't want to get back up and dance. <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah. So, so I guess that also leads into like, how many times did you do the cheerleading, and it just was pouring rain? 
<laughs> so many times. I remember my first um, game when I took over as captain and choreographer. Um, so it was my first time putting a dance together. So I was really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was pouring rain um, at halftime when we were meant to go out and do our routine. And the, the game day people um, at the stadium were like, look, you don't have to do it. Like we can can it. And those poor girls, I was like, no, we're doing it. Like I've been waiting all year for this. We're doing it. And it was actually so much fun. Um, I mean, we looked like drown rats in the second half, (laughs) but it was, it was so much fun dancing in the rain because there was lights and it was, you know, you're flicking your hair around and you might stomp in a puddle. So yeah, it is fun. It's happened. But most of the time they won't make you sit out on the sideline if it's raining. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember there was another game where I was on the opposite side to the tunnel at ANZ yep. and yep. Um, it started pouring. So we just ran into like this other little tiny tunnel, but we needed to get back around to the main tunnel because you'll notice at half time and at the end of games, um, there's like a guard of honour of cheerleaders usually. Mm-hmm. So we needed to get back around. I think we had, you know, three minutes to get all the way back around. So we um, hitched a ride with one of the little golf buggies that was underneath the stadium. He right. drove us all the way back around. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of get a chance to be a bit naughty and muck around when it's raining. Yeah, wow. So, okay, so another question I've got for you. Yeah. How many times were you on the sideline and maybe, I know sometimes you you sit there and watch the game mm. or you would interact with fans or yeah. maybe getting ready for a try and the winger comes sliding across the sideline. <laughs> like how often did that happen? You know what? It actually, I don't think it happened I don't think it happened to me once because we're not quite near, we're not exactly near the try line. Like we're on the sideline, but we're a bit closer to halfway. Mm-hmm. Um, so there occasionally a ball will come flying when the play is kicking for touch mm-hmm. and you kind of just have to, you know, put your pom-poms over your head and, and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funnier bits are when a player is kicking from the sideline because we're right. Because when they score and you get up and you do your little try celebration for the try, you also have to stay standing because you also do another little try celebration dance if they convert. All right. Um, yeah. So you stay standing rather than sitting back down and then getting back up. And we kind of just stand in the line just along the sideline. But if they've got to convert from the sideline, you're literally you're standing right next to like for example, I've stood right next to Cameron Smith as he's setting up to 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 kick a conversion. And as a staunch Bulldogs fan, I can tell you, I've been very tempted to put him off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's probably the closest you really get. I don't think I've been yeah in, near near a player being taken out or. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, I know what I would do. <laughs> I have only seen a couple of times where the cheerleaders have kind of. I remember. I think there was a, a Cowboys game where there was a fight that fell over into mm. the cheerleaders, <laughs> which was no good. But that was a long time ago. Now, um, now, did you ever suffer any sort of injuries or anything like that while you were cheerleading? I don't think I did. I was pretty lucky. I know there was an Eels girl last year that actually um, did her ACL, I'm pretty sure, or dislocated mm-hmm. her knee. Um, but I don't think so. I was pretty pretty lucky. Um, I mean, there was one, when I started the Bulldogs, we had these really um, like knee-high leather boots um, mm-hmm. that had heels on them. So there was a few rolled ankles as you got used to dancing in them. Um, but other than that, I was, 
yeah, I don't think I did. I came out of it unscathed. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Jeez, I'm just thinking if you're wearing knee-high boots mm. with heels and you're yeah. going from the concrete onto the field and then yeah. you're trying to get your – like, yep. just a nightmare. How did you do that? That's great. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, and, and people would always comment about the boots, but um, because they were so heavy and when you were doing a high kick – once your leg got over 90 degrees, it actually got like flung back, flung even higher because the weight <laughs> took it up. So it made your high kicks go higher. Yeah. It was more so like if you had to do a jump. And I remember our, my first coach at the Bulldogs, she was a, an older lady, a bit more old school, and she'd be like, get your legs up, jump higher. And you'd be like, I've got like three kilos on each leg. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. man! <laughs> Did you ever see any of the cheerleaders? And I know these all was all professional, and you were all like at a real high level. But how often did those did those boots just fling someone back too far? Like <laughs> I don't know if anyone. Oh, I've slid over, like slipped over before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. It was more. It was kind of at the end of the dance, and I just kind of landed in the splits and made it look like it was meant to happen. Okay. Um, but that's just the thing with dancers, where like if you're performing, you're just told the show must go on. Yeah. So you just you just kind of I don't know. You just kind of go through it. Like there there was an one time would have been one of my last games. It was a finals game, and um. And the the music was a different soundtrack to what we had, like a different version of the song to mm-hmm. what we had been rehearsing and what we'd learned our dance to. So it was like an uptown funk remix, but it was like way slower than what we had been essentially given from the NRL to rehearse to. And so we were like, oh my god, what are we going to do? Like this music, so and the music started. We have to dance. We're in the middle of the field, so we were all singing the song because you couldn't quite hear the music either. Because okay. it was Pack Stadium, um, uh, it was a preliminary final or something like that, semi-final. It was a Pack Stadium. You couldn't quite hear it. You had the players next to us that were warming up, so we had a ball kicked into the into the middle of the routine, and so another player running in trying to get their ball and stuff, and they're trying to prepare for the biggest game of their season so far. Yeah. And we're singing Uptown Funk You Up, like trying to, <laughs> to like to to like you know get on the same beat. So there's mm. moments like that that happen. You just ha- you ha- just have to keep going. You can't freeze and stand in the middle of the field because what would that look like on the big screen? Yeah. So uh, did you ever have a day where or a moment when you were all cheerleading where it was just a disaster? Like you you sort of you went back into the dressing sheds afterwards and were like, what happened then? Yeah, I reckon that one I was just talking about was probably the worst because. We, um, it, because it was a finals game, so there was both squads where usually throughout the season, it's just the home team's um, cheer squad that's there. Mm-hmm. But there was both teams, and I'm pretty sure it was the Dragons. And so it kind of felt like, you know, this unannounced dance-off to us <laughs> girls. And, you know, we had this, you know, we want to be the best and, and whatnot. And so, and they were next to us. And so we were kind of put on this spot because we'd rehearsed all week with this um, soundtrack that the NRL had given us. But somehow the DJ had played the wrong one. And, mm. and I remember looking up and the big screen is a little bit delayed. Um, mm. And I just remember looking up at the big screen and I could see myself and I was the captain at the time. So I'm standing at the front and the girls are waiting for my calls because you'll kind of yell through the dance. You'll count five, six, seven, eight, or you'll go, okay, we're going into the windmill section and stuff like that. And they're looking at me because they're going, that's not our music. 
and you're just like, we're going to have to just go through it. Let's just sing through it. And we came off and I remember one of the Bulldogs ladies was like, oh, that wasn't your best. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a shit show. <laughs> okay, now we're going to talk about it, the absolute hatred between team cheerleaders, the bloodlust, <laughs> the killer instinct you all have. What's it really like? Like, do you, do you get on or is there a better competitiveness or what? There has never been any competitiveness as far as I know. Like the furthest there probably was was, yeah, at finals matches where emotions are a bit higher mm-hmm. um, because it, you know, your season's on the line. And and because I'm, you know, such a staunch fan too, I probably take it way too personally. Um, but other than that, there's like a lot of the two, we're, we're I suppose a minority in the game. So, and no, no one understands what it's like to do cheerleading unless you are a cheerleader. So yeah. there's a special bond mm-hmm. in that sense. Um, I don't think we've ever had any any run-ins. I remember um, one year I was at Allianz, another finals, and it was Manly and Bulldogs, and, and um, the Bulldogs had won, and I bumped into this girl, uh, a Manly cheerleader, as, as I was leaving the field, and I gave her a hug and commiseration. So I don't – yeah, like I don't think there was – I don't think there's um, – it would be a cool story if there was some sort of beef, but there wasn't – unfortunately, it wasn't. Everyone was just lovely. Damn. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I wish I had some sort of – yeah, some some crazy story to tell you where pom-poms were thrown yeah. and high kicks were towards faces, but, yeah, nothing. <laughs> I, I wanted to hear – you know what? I'll be honest. I wanted to hear, like, a good, like, scrag fight in the dressing shed. <laughs> Everyone yeah, no. Like maybe maybe like it, it, within squads, yeah? yeah. There's probably a bit more tension within <laughs> squads because you spend so much time together and you might be hungry or you're cold or you're just not yeah. in the mood. Um, yeah, but like you don't really cross paths with other squads. Yeah. There might be a bit of like silent competitiveness on Instagram mm-hmm. and whatnot, but um, but back when I started, Instagram wasn't really a thing. So, yeah, um, yeah we, didn't, we didn't really have that. Now – are there certain cheer squads in the NRL that are a higher quality than other cheer squads, or is that a misconception? Because I've kind of heard that there. I've heard that the Sharks, uh, Parramatta is another one, Manly is another one, where that they are sort of like at a, a different level with their cheer squads, or maybe um, give them a higher priority. Is a, mm. is a better explanation. Is that the case or is everyone pretty much about as good as each other? Um, I mean, to the, to a non-dancing eye, you'd probably think everyone's the same. But from my dancing experience, I would definitely say the Sharks um, are the, the top level because, like, for so many reasons, their choreographer um, – that well, the, the the Shire has a really good um, pathway for dance. There's a lot of good dancers in the Shire, mm-hmm. um, and in the Shire, you know, your only your only team's the Sharks. So a lot of these dancers, they look at as that as like a thing that they're going to achieve when they leave high school. Is gonna we're gonna become a Sharks cheerleader. I say that I'm from the Shire, but I went to the Bulldogs, anyways. <laughs> um, but and also, yeah, their choreographer is quite experienced, and their choreography is probably the hardest. Mm-hmm. in the NRL um, and also it goes hand in hand with the club like you said um, making them a higher priority and actually investing in them and giving them their profiles and giving them a platform 
um, which is what helps them be so good. The same choreographer as the shark, she's also doing the dragons, and I've not like they're definitely on on the up as well. So, yeah, there's definitely different levels, I would say, and it would come down to who the coach choreographer is, and what type of platform and how much time um, a club is going is willing to put into them. Now, you talked earlier about. Uh, how much you can earn as a cheerleader. I won't ask you for specific amounts or anything like that, but like with the Parramatta cheerleaders um, having been disbanded just before the season started, and and this is a question actually Andrew asked me to ask you ask you last night. Um, mm-hmm. Would that be would it be enough money that w- it would affect the the young ladies who now don't have that income, or is it more um... of a just a nice bit of money that is extra to the whole experience yeah well I've always been pretty open like you give or take girls are only earning um about a hundred dollars a game okay. so you're and you do only do 10 home games so if you do every home game the maximum you're earning for the entire year is a thousand dollars so in the grand scheme of things it doesn't really make a dent financially yeah um but mind you I when I first started um, and I was doing my full time dance course, I was having to pay that off, and you get paid monthly um, like the players do, and so you'll get like a nice you know four hundred dollar chunk or whatnot, and so that would be it'd be helpful in a way um, for the really younger young girls, mm-hmm. but I think f- more so what's happened to the Parramatta girls. Rather than the financial impact, I think it's going to be more so the um, opportunity impact. Like I said before, like you don't know where cheerleading is going to lead you, whether it be a job in the media, a job at the club or a job through a sponsor. Or It's that opportunity that's now been taken away from them where it's kind of like a what if moment, what could have come of it. Um, more than a financial impact because you'd really you do it for the love of it like uh, you might you might get around a hundred dollars for the game but you've got to go and get a spray tan um you might need to top up your makeup you spend money on petrol getting to and from rehearsals Mm -hmm. and getting to a game um and you're at a game way longer than any of the players so you know Mm -hmm. it works out to be probably less than ten ten dollars an hour yeah, yeah, and it's look like I know I was doing some of the calling for the New South Wales Cup mm. year before last, and was really looking forward to last year, and of course it it didn't end up happening mm. because of COVID, and so I can understand like this idea of like you gear up for something and then it's just not there. Yeah. It's and like I just felt so sorry for them, and like um I I know that you and me we um both follow some of the same Parramatta cheerleaders mm. on Twitter, and. It, like you see how much they love it and yeah. see it taken away. I was just, I was really, really sad for them. It was just rotten. Yeah, it's heartbreaking because it's, it's their thing. And like I said, you don't make, you don't make money off it. So they like they, you have to love it to be able to push through the cold nights, giving up your Saturday nights and, and turning up to rehearsals and, and stuff. Like you have to really love it. And f- especially for like the girls that we follow on Twitter, they're NRL fans and mm-hmm. that's their way of being involved in the game. So to, it, it's almost like this little piece of losing your identity. Like I struggled when I, when I had to finish cheerleading, like it was, a, it was massive for me because some of my best friends were in my, were in that cheerleading squad and that was 
my most proud thing from from 18 to about I think I finished like 22 23 that was the thing I was most proud of more than anything Mm -hmm. and that was something that whenever I'd bump into people from school because they always knew that I wanted to be a Bulldogs cheerleader they'd always ask me like how's cheerleading that was the first thing that people would ask me about because like it was it was a part of my identity and when I had to stop I really struggled for the first season without it, like that first maybe three months. Mm-hmm. I just, I felt, I don't know, I felt isolated from my friends that were still cheerleading. I felt like I was missing out. I felt just like I I wanted to be out there and I didn't really know how to cope, especially because I didn't really get a, cho- a choice to um to step down. I, I, I had to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically the position that they're in. They didn't, they didn't, wrap it up because that you know they were moving on to the next part of their lives or they had not they wanted to do something else so they were over it it's taken away from them so I think they'll it'll be really hard for them the first um the opening half of the season I think yeah it 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 might sound a bit dramatic but it's you know a little bit of piece of their identity that's been taken away no I get it I get it and so when you when you finished up cheerleading did you have uh some part of your previous dance experience that you had carried on or was just that it for you in terms of your, I guess, performance career? Mm. No, I was quite lucky. So while I was cheerleading, um, I did a lot of dancing gigs throughout Sydney. So like I had a contract with the Ivy that I um, juggled and I I did a lot of um, different, like would be hired for different corporate events and stuff. So I was lucky that I still got my dance fix mm-hmm. um, and I picked up, um, I went back and did some old dance lessons. So I was still able to, to move. Um, so I guess that kind of, that would have helped me a little bit. It still um, made sure I got that, that little bit of fix of performing. So I, yeah, I, I hope that these girls um, can maybe yeah, band together and even get together on a couple of nights a month and do a dance lesson altogether or something like that. Cause that'll probably help them get through but yeah for some it it could be the end of their performing yeah it's it's very sad and i i i'm I'm with you i hope that they've got things that they can feel in that time and and have that new focus with um now moving on to the bulldogs this year i I might as well ask you because you're yeah (laughs) what do you it's it's been a real tough few years and like i mean when you're when you celebrate and missing the wooden spoon, it's like, man, just, you know. <laughs> but this year, it seems like they're starting to put together some pretty good players that if not, I don't, I don't know that they're going to make the finals this year, mm. but it seems like a pretty good base to build upon. Yeah, I think you you nailed it. Like I I'm not expecting them to make finals this year. I am next year. Um, but I'm expecting a dramatic improvement. And I think that's the thing with some uh, with Bulldogs fans, I you know, I think I need to I want to send out a warning to all my Bulldogs Twitter friends. Um, let's not let's not go into this season expecting massive things. Let's still be patient. Um, but I think the things that the th- the moves that they've made for this year is really promising. I remember when Trent Barrett signed on. I was a, I must admit I was a little bit apprehensive. I thought, oh, is he the right move? I don't know about this. Um, but every single move that he has made has been spot on. Um, I think what really I, I, Nick Kotcher was a great signing. Um, don't get me wrong, Jack Hetherington, Corey Waddell, Kyle Flanagan, great signing. But the thing that just really kind of tipped it over the edge for me was Corey Allen because it was such a shock 
you know, yeah. all those other players were kind of linked to the club and then they were finally confirmed. And, you know, it, but Corey Allen was a total shock. And I, that's when I went, oh, okay, all right, we're in business. Like this is, you know, we've just snagged a guy that was filled in for Latrell Mitchell last year and did a bloody good job. Did well, and yeah. And made state of origin debut and showed a lot of potential. And now he's coming to, like, my club. Like, yeah, like I think that, that made me stand up and listen and go, okay, like we're really, we're on track here. Yeah, he's that sort of solid first grader, and he's he's better than solid. I mean, as you said, like yeah. last year, at the end of last year, especially for the Rabbitohs, he was fantastic. Yeah. Um, And then, like, when the Bulldogs got him, it's like, wow, they're, they're not just uh, signing big-name players mm-hmm. or spending money on, you know, one or two really good players. They're trying to bolster their side, and I agree with you. I thought that that was a really good sign. And, like, I, I, was, I agree with you about Trent Barrett, too. I... I I haven't rated him as a coach. I'd like to see him actually do something. Mm. And but every single move he's made, it's it's been a bloody good one. Yeah, uh, even beyond. So I was sad to see so many um people like people uh, part of the coaching staff be moved on. Like yeah. I, I've grown up and followed these people. Like Tony Grimaldi's been a part of that coaching staff even when I was cheerleading there. So it was it, it was sad for me to see so many of them go and and um and you have to as a fan let go of that period but the people that he's brought in um like don ferner and and whatnot like that like they're, they're the big dogs they're the real mm. deal and then steve hansen uh, the fact that essentially andrew hill said to him let's get you let's get you a mentor like um you come to me who with who you want and Trent barrett was like steve hansen here's his number like let's make it happen mm. i mean and then they made it happen i just think like trent has come into this role different like mature his head screwed on and he's made really thought out movements yeah and i guess like because his time at manly was a, a failure it was a really bad failure mm. And, you know, you kind of hope that he learns from that. I think that Ricky Stewart, like he started off at the Masters and he won the premiership and it was like, great, everything worked. But I think that you can see, like, whether it's the man management side of him, like he's, Mm. he's a lot more chilled than he used to be at the start of his career. And it's cool when you see a coach change and progress and they learn things along the way and like like we're going to see that's why they play the games as i say you you find out about these things and you know trent's got he's he's done well so far without coaching a game yet so we'll mm-hmm. see how they go but yeah I, I hope bulldogs fans give him a bit of time because i thought that dean pay was he was under a lot more pressure than i think he should have been yeah, absolutely. I, I thought that that shouldn't have ended the way it ended, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I, I remember, um, I can't remember if I wrote an article about it, maybe. Um, I've done so many Bulldogs articles <laughs> as, a, as a frustrated fan um, about Dean Pay leaving because, like you said, he got served a shit sandwich when he, mm-hmm. um, when he came to the club. He inherited all the salary cap dramas. He had the the board that were just not getting along. He had all of that and he had the players that were like no disrespect to them, but they were never going. Then they, they just couldn't compete with, with other teams mm-hmm. and like, and he did his best and absolutely were there some things that you, when he left and Steve Jordalis took over and maybe moved a few people around, you maybe went, Oh, okay. All right. Dean Pay should have done that. But I would have really liked to have seen him, um, 
yeah, see what he could have done without the shackles of a salary cap or even I would have I thought I noticed that the Bulldogs defense was quite good under him mm-hmm. I can't remember what their percentage was but it was actually up there with one of the better teams and mm-hmm. so that said to me all right well we know he's on an attacking coach he's a defensive coach so I would have even maybe kept him on um at the club as a defensive coach but again I don't you know it might have been a bit of a, a bit of a hit to the ego if they said, you know, we don't, we're not going to keep you as a head coach, but do you want to stay on as a defensive coach? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would imagine Dean Pay would have said no, thank you in no, a Dean Pay way. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a girl oh, can dream. <laughs> exactly. Um, is there? But what have you thought of the off season? It's been a bit weird because it's been, for the most part, really quiet. We've had a few things that have popped up here and there. The Israel Folau thing came and went really mm. quickly. Um. It's, I feel like it's going to be an interesting season because every sports season we've seen so far, their second season of COVID has been really disrupted by COVID. Do you reckon we're mm. going to see something like that in the NRL? I hope not. I don't know. I feel like in terms of COVID, I think, I don't know, like I, I guess things are looking positive and mm. I am keeping my fingers and toes crossed that it will stay that way because – I can tell you, even when the season was suspended, working um, as a journalist, every single day there was a new breaking news story, whether it be Player X um, breaking the biosecurity measures, Wayne Bennett going out to lunch at an Italian restaurant, um, you know, like player pay cuts, what that's going to look like. Are, the, mm-hmm. are they going to be in a bubble? Are they going to all move to ANZ Stadium? Are they going to go to an island? Like every the new draw, like every day there was – breaking news and it was the most exhausting unexpected wild time um so i'm hoping for a little bit of regular regular programming this year mm-hmm. um yeah i <laughs> i'm hopeful but i yeah i mean your guess is as good as mine i, I don't know <laughs> I, look i agree with that i would just love for the one thing there's two things i'd love i hope that the season goes through like just normally just a regular season mm. there's no games missed or anything like that and i'm hoping i can call some games this year i missed it yes. so badly oh yes absolutely well like i you know my boyfriend plays Canterbury Cup and his season last year was canned after one game and he'd spent, you know, a whole preseason preparing. Um, he was excited, like he had really good trial games and yeah. um, it was going to be – and he's uh, still got the NRL dream, but he's he's getting a bit older. So, you know, time is of the essence for him. Yeah, um, you, and I like it's a missed year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he uh, – so he's – like he's now at a new team and doing a preseason and training hard. And this is a real, like this is make it or break it. This is it this year mm-hmm. because he last, you know, he's lost a year and he's getting older. So, and he spent a whole year, um, yeah, frustrated that he couldn't just go out and play footy because of course they had to, like they had to can their season because majority of the Canterbury Cup players come from the top 30 mm-hmm. and they're in the bubble, so it was it was just going to be too hard with players like my boyfriend who's not in the top 30 and he has to work every day. Mm-hmm. So he'd essentially be, you know, out in the public and then training with players that are meant to be in the bubble. Yeah. Um. So I understand why they had to can it last year, but, oh, I just really hope for players like him. Um, the battlers that missed out on the missed out on the season last year that things things go well and smoothly. And it's, 
it's a really good level of competition. Like I was one of those people mm. that didn't really pay too much attention to Canterbury Cup and all that. And then when I started mm. calling games and you start seeing the players and you see them come through to first grade and yeah. then you see them drop back from first grade. Yeah. And I mean, that like when I was calling it, I called Aiden Caesar in the game. He ended up playing in the yeah. grand final as a halfback. So it's... um. It's a cool level of the game that I think a lot of people miss out on. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, I, I just hope that all runs smoothly. Yeah, I think with Canterbury Cup as well, it's a really, um, I think it's a really telling competition of of a player's character too. Like you said, mm. if you see a player dropped back to reserve grade, I think it's a really good insight into what type of person they are, what type of player, how badly they want to be back just by their attitude and how they turn up for a reserve grade game where they're not, where there's no media, there's no fans cheering them on. It's just family and friends. Um, and you're back with guys that, you know, work as a plumber as their day job mm-hmm. and, and, a, and, and a training three nights a week and whatnot. Um, and they're not elite professionals. Um, I always find that really telling. And then it's also so rewarding when you do watch a guy come through and and work their asses off and then they finally get that opportunity in first grade and you're like yes you deserve that 100 percent. like i saw um there was a game in and it's 2019 now but there was a panthers versus um warriors game and josh mansour had been dropped from the panthers and he was the best player in the field in that canterbury cup game and then there was a a warriors player that had been dropped who i won't say his name but he was the most bludger player on that field and it was as you said it just revealed the the mentality that they'd gone out there with but then it was also things like seeing dane laurie um Mm -hmm. and i was like man this kid's gonna go somewhere unfortunately he's gone to the tigers now but he's gonna be really really good for the tigers and it's 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 a part of the game which is it was opened up to me i was like wow i love this stuff yeah, and I mean, like I said, like it's played at a lot of them are played at more suburban grounds, and mm-hmm. you're right in the action, and you get to see it all, and you get right up and cl- up and personal and close to those players, that, like a Josh Mansour that's dropped back, and you, you know, like you, it's a bit, it's a bit more personal watching them at those suburban grounds, where you can hear every hit because there's no crowd there, and you can hear them yelling yeah. at each other. It's a cool yeah. atmosphere. It really is, and uh, it's the first time I've been to Bel Belmore. Um, going to Canterbury oh. Cup, and I, I remember going there, and I was like, "This is the car park." I couldn't believe it. It so <laughs> it's got like ten spots. <laughs> yeah, it's like what the hell? <laughs> oh man, it's so weird. Some of the some of the suburban grounds, how like yeah, they're so quaint. <laughs> they are. They're just in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> Look, thank you for coming on. You've been an absolutely amazing guest. Um, you've answered so many amazing questions about what it's like <laughs> to be a cheerleader. And um, it's it, this is a podcast when me and Andrew sat down about two years ago, just about now, to do podcasts. I said, I'd love to talk to a cheerleader yeah. and get that episode out. And now I've done it. So, yeah, and what better timing? <laughs> oh, fantastic. So, thank you so much for coming oh, no, on. My pleasure. It's always good to have a chat. So where can people find you, um, mainly online? Let's not give you yeah. a location. <laughs> <laughs> my, my address. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can find me here. No. Um, yeah, well, on Twitter, Instagram, um, they're mainly the only apps that I use. But mm. my name's pretty simple. It's just Darcy McDonald, <laughs> D-A-R-C-I-E, not like Darcy Lussick. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and I think my profiles are on public, so – 
you don't have to do any of the creepy adding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's awesome to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you. Uh, so thank you also to our sponsor, Manscaped.com. Go to Manscaped.com, put in the code NRL at checkout, and uh, you get 20% off, free shipping. Go and get yourself the Lawnmower 3.0. It's fantastic. You will not be upset when you get it. It's fantastic, trust me. Um, thank you to Darcy. Thank you to everyone that's listened. And we'll be back with another episode probably in the next 20 minutes, the way we put them out. <laughs>